0: Say now you're tuned in to the Wake Up and Win podcast, and I am your host Devon Pouncy. We are here at the Momentum Studio. Spencer Shay,
1: what's going on, my brother? What's up, man? We back man, at it. The barber did his thing with you today, man. Yeah, he, he put it together. He looked sharp, He sir. put it
0: together, man. You know, I got a ESPN Plus appearance tonight, man. I got to come you, correct. Got to You come look correct.
1: I feel about as good as you look right now, so we're gonna I have appreciate
0: a kill. that. That means it's gonna be a good one. Um help me if you wish. Like I said, I got a broadcast tonight. I got more broadcast this weekend. So I ain't trying to waste my voice here on the Wake Up and Win
1: podcast. I got you. But we got plenty to <clears throat> talk about. I'm gonna me, let me get hooked up real quick. We clear, got plenty to process. talk about. Absolutely. Yes, we do.
0: And, uh, well, let's start with some announcements, per usual. Um, Big weekend this weekend in the Northwest Conference, especially in regards to the Pacific University women's basketball team. You all been listening to the announcements all year long, all season long. But they have officially clinched a spot, one of the four spots in the Northwest Conference Tournament. So they will have a postseason. Congratulations to them on that, first and foremost.
1: Go boxers.
0: Absolutely. Go boxers. Boxers all day. I told y'all at the beginning of this season, though, that of the three teams that I was calling games for in college hoops, that was the team I was most excited
1: for because they were expected to do exactly what they're doing. You were so excited about them that you got me out there trying to watch them. <laughs> <laughs> I'm talking about no, but it, they're great, man. Conference bound from the very beginning, they look fantastic. Yeah. They're they're surging at the right time. It's going to be a crazy weekend. Currently, though. currently on a four game win streak. <laughs> but but, but here's the thing. Weekend, it,
0: here's the thing. Just to give you a bit of a scenario of why this weekend is a big one. There's four spots in the Northwest Conference tournament. Obviously, if you win that, you get an automatic bid to the NCAA tournament. This is Division Three basketball we're talking about here, though. Um, I do think there's a couple of teams, Puget Sound potentially and definitely Whitman, would get an at-large bid if they didn't win the Northwest Conference tournament. But just like Division I NCAA tournament, you win your conference tournament, you get an automatic bid. So Whitman... Number six team in the country, having lost a game in conference play, already clinched the number one seed for the conference tournament, regular season champs in the NWC. At number two and number three is University of Puget Sound, who I already mentioned, and Pacific. We know that they'll be the number two and three seeds. Now what it's about is who will get home court advantage because the higher seeded team gets home court in the Northwest Conference Tournament. Hmm. They both have three losses currently right now. Pacific still has two games left. Puget Sound only has one game left. But that one game that Puget Sound has will also be Pacific's last game of the season this Saturday. So we know they'll be playing each other back-to-back. Last game of the regular season and first game of the Northwest Conference Tournament. Essentially, the winner of that last game this Saturday will be the host next Thursday, the 24th for the Northwest Conference Tournament. And I'll tell you, Pacific had a home court um, situation a couple years ago. It was their first time making it to the NWC Tournament in a long time. And those games are lit. Capital L-I-T, lit.
1: <laughs> Yo, it's good in there. Even the last few games we've been in, if they've been rolling the students are fun. They are
0: fun. They got a fun them. They, yeah, they got some man. fun uh, students that come out and really cheer on that women's team. The men's team, too. But obviously, the women's team have had a bit more success. But I'm telling you, even what we've seen thus far, as great as those students are, if we host a tournament game... It's going to go crazy, like jam-packed, wall-to-wall, pretty much sold-out crowd is what we got the last time around. I would expect to be to see more of the same this time. I know we're in a pandemic, but hey, you got your vaccine, pull up. Yeah, <laughs> um, pull up. Pull most students up. already have theirs, so uh-huh. that's that. Um, but yeah, so basically, it's going to come down to this weekend to determine who will be at number two and number three, and then the fourth spot right now is currently held by George Fox, but... Right on their tails is Willamette and Lewis and Clark. So they'll all have to play it out. They've all got two games for the remainder of this week to determine who will end up getting that fourth spot to go travel down to Walla Walla.
1: Washington to play against the number six
0: team in the country in the that first round of the tournament, is which
1: is which. sick though. Because man, the competition <laughs> at that like seating, you know, what I'm saying the fight for seating, you know, it reminds me, reminds me of the NBA a little bit. A little like, race, we got like, a race going on. It's nice, absolutely, man. It's good, absolutely. It's, good comp- it's good competition, man. They're killing, they're killing basketball players. I love watching those games. I'm gonna try to continue to call as many as I can because it's just fun to watch. People who are better at the game than you are. <laughs> you <laughs> yeah. I mean? They got some hoopers. Dude. That backcourt tandem. Ooh, we
0: They just yeah. Special. Big shout out
1: to Briley and Cammy. What's up?
0: Speaking of Cammy, she just won her fourth Northwest Conference player of the week this past week. This season. Not in her career, but this season. She's already been Northwest Conference Player of the Week four times after just being honored once again uh for that particular award. She's If she's not going to be the MVP... I was about to say,
1: that's like MVP.
0: It is. She's putting up MVP numbers, and the boxers obviously are really good, but uh, Whitman's got a player over there who's been dominating as well. Second leading scorer in the conference right behind Kamey, who is the leading scorer in the conference. And again, Whitman hasn't lost a game in conference play and has only lost one game over the course of this season. So... Big weekend in the Northwest Conference. You all should follow it. I mean, you know, obviously you can tune in on GoBoxers.com this Saturday, and uh, I'll be on the call, which will be tomorrow from when you hear this. We'll be putting this out on Friday. But, um, yeah, Northwest Conference is, is really uh, getting in the thick of it, and the men will play as well this Saturday against Puget Sound after the women's game. But that women's game has a lot riding on it because whoever wins it, We'll be hosting the next week in an NWC tournament, and it gets rocking.
1: I'll see you Saturday night, bro.
0: Absolutely. Tonight, though, which will be (laughs) before you all listen to this podcast. Terminator timeline, bro. Terminator timeline. (laughs) uh, Hopefully you follow my social media because I at least post, you know, my game day posts on social media. We'll be at the Viking Pavilion, and this is... In case you don't follow me on social media, you should because sometimes we have announcements the day we come in here and record, but we don't drop until the next day. So if you follow the socials, you'll always be able to stay up to date and current with what's going on as we only do this thing here weekly. But anywho, uh, Portland State playing against Northern Arizona here at home, and then next week will be their final two games uh, February 24th against Weber State, you know, Dame's Dame's place of residence back when he was a college kid. And uh, their final game will be at home. Well, not their final game, but their final home, home game man. will be against Idaho State next Saturday, February 26th. So pull up, support. Um, Drink some wine at the game at the Viking Pavilion. Even if you're. <laughs> I'm just playing. I'm playing. <laughs> It's hard parking over here in downtown <laughs> Portland, I tell you. So good luck. But anywho, um, even if it's not tonight's game, which again will already have been played by the time you listen to this podcast, hey, next week, man, two more games. Pull up, drink some wine at the Viking Pavilion, or you can you have the luxury of drinking wine right on your couch and tune it in on ESPN Plus, where myself and Matt Rickard will be on the call. So either way, it's great entertainment. Whether you're watching it on ESPN Plus or obviously if you're live at the game, great entertainment, and it's worth uh, pulling out a glass of wine for. It's good basketball, people. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Plus, hey, man, my broadcast season is coming to an end, so I won't be heckling y'all with uh, announcements every week for five games a week uh, for a while, up until kind of like football season comes around, at least, you know, for what we know. Who knows, maybe another opportunity presents itself, but at least until football season, you know, September college football when I'll be back calling Pacific football games, my announcements are going to be like DJ announcements, pull up and really have a glass mm. of wine and listen to your boy spin some records. So, <laughs> so pull up if you can tune in if summer, you can't pull summer,
1: up. Summertime. Hello,
0: the best time of the year, baby. Super Bowl champion Los Angeles Rams are probably still hung over. <laughs> Or you Still know drunk. what they say, the best cure to a hangover is to continue yeah. drinking. And they've obviously got a valid reason to do so. Congratulations to them. Being able to pull out the Super Bowl um, doesn't surprise me much. I'm not getting ready to sit here and give you all these regurgitated takes that you've heard since they, since really the night of the Super Bowl, whether you were at a Super Bowl party or you were on Twitter or wherever you were. All the takes have been exhausted Um that I would have come in here with by Thursday. <laughs> so I'm not going to do that for you, but we'll talk about it a little bit, of course. Um, Cooper Cups is the best wide receiver in the NFL. Let's start there.
1: <laughs> Somebody on Twitter said, uh, Cooper Cup's the best Republican athlete since Michael Jordan. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. When he put move on old boy there for that touchdown catch. He's so good. That was like, I mean, just such an awesome moment. He's so
0: good. He's so good. Cooper Cup. Um, one MVP. I do kind of wish that we would have got the co. I wish Aaron Donald and Cooper Cup would have gotten co-MVP. Again, I completely understand why Cooper Cup did get the MVP, but obviously Aaron Donald and what he did just on that last possession alone, uh, it gave me MVP vibes right there. So I wish they would have gotten the co, and I don't think anybody would have been mad had they gotten the co, but of course Cooper Cup wins the MVP. He deserved it. Matt Stafford is a champion. He deserved it as far as I'm concerned. I remember a while back, uh, D-Boy and I had a little back and forth on this here podcast because I told him that the Rams could win a title with Matt Stafford behind center, and he went out there and did it. So congratulations to him. Again, congratulations to Aaron Donald, Odell Beckham Jr. I was going to say,
1: he did it with one of the best offensive fields that Odell a Super Bowl team has Beckham, ever seen, bro.
0: Jr. His story couldn't have been written out Almost any better. But Unless he would have co- played the second half. Exactly. Exactly. The <laughs> injury, on, is sucks. he probably has a torn ACL, which really, really sucks. But he seems to be overjoyed about the fact that, hey, man, I'm a Super Bowl champion. As much as he's been through in his career, um, as, as much as he's had to deal with in his career, I'm super happy for him. And I think he – I'm sure he wants to stay in L.A. Why would OBJ not want to be in L.A.? Just think about it, y'all. Football aside, especially. But even now, with what they've been able to accomplish, accomplish winning the Super Bowl – that gives you more reason to want to stay in LA, but we'll see how everything plays yeah, you out.
1: Don't, you don't think he wants to be dancing with LeBron up come in the on, box. Come on, man. You of seen Aaron he does, Donald bro. courtside after the parade going on, to go man. see LeBron? Like, come on, man. You know what time <laughs> but, it is. But so you?
0: much more, man, from the fashion to just everything. Odell Beckham is the biggest He might be the biggest star to come out of the NFL that is not a quarterback. Since Deion Sanders.
1: That's what I was going to say.
0: And that just was all right off the top of the head. No, well, I mean. The closest I- thing I think to Odell Beckham Jr. that wasn't Deion Sanders, obviously, in between the stint that Deion Sanders played and OBJ played, that's that doesn't play the quarterback position, would have to probably be Beast Mode, Marshawn Lynch. Well, the thing about uh
1: Marshawn. They're totally different guys. <laughs> and, and OBJ, in relation to that comparison, is that, in my opinion, is that I think it could be more apt to give Marshawn that nod because he performed like Deion Sanders throughout his career, with right. More longevity. I'm not. I'm not like. Obviously, uh, Odell Beckham Jr. has been injured a bunch. Yeah, and he has. Has, has been has had his career derailed like, five times in the last, like, four years, which is nuts to think that he is now going to be hoisting himself a Vince Lombardi trophy and, you know what I'm saying, you know what I'm saying? has the ring. It's it's crazy. But you got to perform, bro. You got to perform. He sure did perform before he tore that ACL hey, in the Super
0: Bowl. I a mean, huge hey, catch, a touchdown catch. He, he played a role in them winning a the ring, yeah. and I think that's what was more important for him. But I, I know what you're saying, obviously. Like, from a celebrity standpoint, I, I would agree Marshawn had a better career. On the field, we know OBJ's potential is probably a little bit greater. He's a freak athlete, but you mentioned the injuries – You mentioned the drama that Marshawn never really got into. His drama was more so comical than it (laughs) was like (laughs) shit's getting kind of personal here now. You know what I'm saying? Like Marshawn knew how to keep it comical and not say too much and not really show any frustrations if he ever had them. And and really kind of keep you off guard as whether you were a journalist or whether you were just a fan trying to, you know, read who the guy was. Marshawn was a much harder read, I think, than OBJ is in that regard but uh again that's still high praise those are the two players that I would say since Deion Sanders played that don't play the quarterback or and then Randy Moss Randy Moss I think would be the third that I would kind of like throw in that conversation but still big time big time for OBJ glad to have seen him win it now we got to talk about the halftime show was it the greatest? No.
1: Not, not the greatest, of course not. What was the greatest? Well, you already know what I'm going to say. Prince, I'm going to say Prince in the Rain and Easy Money. That's fair. Easy call. Okay. It was real good, though. Yeah. I was just talking to Zeb earlier, and he was saying he said you know I wanted to not like it, and I agree with you. I I, I wanted to not like it too, just because. Why would you want to not like not, that? Not like no, not like just in the sense of like somebody somebody online said something funny to the effect of they were like when when uh, you know like millennials see the lineup. Dr. Dre and Snoop Dogg, they go, oh, man, it's so nice that they're finally uh, not putting entertainers for old people on TV, and they're entertaining, and then then the reality sets in. It's like, nah, man, we're the old people. We're getting old. We ain't ain't getting no younger. That's for sure. We're not getting any younger. We're not old yet, but we ain't getting no younger. All I know is is that it was a good performance. It had all of the hallmarks of what you would expect out of a, a Super Bowl halftime protest. I mean, uh, uh, excuse me, performance. Performance. What is he talking about Well, I, I, I mean, if anything, I'm talking about M&M, It was honestly. some protests I, within I was, it, though. I,
0: I, right, right. It, I got it's you. Not a
1: Super Bowl halftime show if it doesn't have some sort of political controversy <laughs> or social controversy. So Absolutely. It hit all the notes. As, the,
0: as does everything else, right? Nowadays, yes. <laughs> but it hit all the notes, right? It hit all the notes, for sure. Definitely. Dr. Dre, I mean, to me, he's the best curator in hip hop. Yes, over Pharrell. Yes, over Kanye. Yes, over, over Diddy. Diddy. Yes, over Jermaine Dupree. I'm Timbo. giving the nod. Timbo. Timbo. Yes, over Timbo. I'm giving the nod to Dr. Dre as the greatest curator hip-hop has hmm. ever seen. What he's been able to put together and the fact that he was willing to go a bit further from like a graphic standpoint, his music and his content was a lot more graphic than any of those other dudes' content was. And for that alone... To be able to get that accepted to the extent that he was able to get that accepted to, to where he just performed at a Super Bowl halftime show and then he rocked the Super Bowl halftime show the way he did. He had the perfect lineup. like I said, he's the greatest curator Perfect of all set. time. Perfect set. Snoop Dogg is the greatest crip of all time. <laughs> <laughs> Eminem with is strong, the greatest white rapper of all time. With strong consideration to Nipsey Hussle. <laughs> with strong
1: consideration. Strong
0: consideration to Nipsey, to Nipsey Hussle. But Rest in peace. In but, all due respect, he has not surpassed Snoop Dogg, Snoop Dogg as the greatest crip of all time. <laughs> um Uh, again Eminem's the greatest white rapper of all time (laughs) (laughs) Eminem is the 50 cent is the greatest rapper to produce television shows of all time Mary J Blige is the greatest auntie of all time I mean we could keep going
1: Shout out to See, Mary, man. She's going a, crazy. That's for us, old. We're all getting older. Hey, and we man. all getting older, if man. If you're listening to this, it's probably too late, man. You should stretch more. Dude. Yeah, for sure. Man. Stretch more. <laughs> for sure. So
0: it was just great. Anderson on the drums. Like, and, you know, it we know just he's LA an aftermath. Just building, man. Kendrick Lamar probably the best rapper of today, of alive. this current generation alive, alive. You can make the point for that. While I'm giving everybody else goat status, we got to insert Kendrick in there for, for what he was able to do. I, I mean, it was just great all the way yeah. around, you know, and, and you mentioned the protest, the Eminem taking a kneel, you know, the still not loving police line from Dr. Dre. And just the fact that they were able and willing to go all out with that performance. It meant a lot. And, God bless Jay Z because he's been receiving a lot of criticism for what I think are the right reasons. For the being the we're past kneeling stuff and you know, kind of what he said about Colin Kaepernick and so on and so forth. And I think that actually backfired once this Brian Flores lawsuit came about. We mm. saw a lot more criticism for Jay-Z, but I'm not here to just beat Jay-Z up, even though I agree with some of the criticism of some of the this things that he said, but I'ma give him I'm gonna give him his props for that Super Bowl halftime. show. we're not gonna not give Jay-Z his props because he's still Jay-Z. I still love Jay-Z. And I know what it is. He's navigating through a, a tough time right now socially, and he might make a mistake or say a thing wrong or say something that I don't agree with, but damn it, what he did with
1: that halftime show, I'm here for it. Yeah, it's just nice to, like, the sounds that we want to hear are what we're hearing. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Music, sonically, musically, uh, politically. That's, I mean, that's it's what, you know, The has everyone's been railing about, the entire time, and and the, what the fight has been about in its you know inception, it's just representation. Let's yeah. let's, let's let us hear what we want to hear, Here, right? And, and that's exactly what, what you the, think is okay for us to hear. What you think you're approving, especially. Right. Like, come on, man. Like, if, like, especially, <laughs> dude, especially, especially with Especially with the people who are deciding
0: what it is what that I'm we saying. want to hear that d- doesn't relate to us in any way, shape, or form. That's oh, we like, can keep going.
1: That's like the type of lineup that if you had, I guarantee you a bunch of execs could have easily come up with, but just somehow still found a way to not do it correctly. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. In that that you just go, okay, well, here are the keys. Cause it's L A, man. It, it, you're we're in L A, man. It's L A. Uh, you think Dr. Dre? They're going okay. So well, you're going to come around and park here. Gonna, I know where I'm going to park. Okay, you're going to bring yourself here. I know where I'm. I know where the door is. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. This is my city, bro. I,
0: I do want to say, and this is going away from that. You know, you talked about protests earlier, and it's something I'm, I'm not going to call Jules right now, but I do want to touch on because we talked about it in the Patreon mm-hmm. episode with Jules that we did also put on the main channel, and we said. As many journalists were out there in LA, this probably wasn't going to get a lot of coverage. But if it happened, we would at least mention it here on this podcast. The No Olympics folks did go out there um, and do a protest and demonstrate outside of the Super Bowl so far. And, um, I just want to acknowledge that. If you want to know more about that, just listen to our Jules Boykoff Patreon episode. It's on the main channel. You should subscribe yeah, to the Patreon still, for too. For sure. Just $5, patreon.com slash wakeupandwinpod. But even with that being said, you should listen to that and hear about what we were kind of talking yeah. about in regards to the Olympics, um, in regards to L.A. hosting the 2028 Olympics, and in regards to just some of the things that came with SoFi Stadium being built and how the average rent price has gone up over 20% and that's in the surrounding area and the gentrification that happened with that as obviously this was a mega sport event being the Super Bowl. So it's a lot to look into and talk about there. We don't have to get too deep into it because we got more to get into. And again, I got to keep my voice just a little bit before yeah. I put the other headset on. But um. I just wanna acknowledge that. I just wanna acknowledge
1: it. And go follow them, No Olympics LA. No
0: Olympics LA. You should definitely go follow them. Um, Yeah, good information over there. Sticking with the Super Bowl, but not sticking with the Super Bowl. I was watching the Super Bowl, obviously, and a couple of times that I heard that Michelle Tafoya was retiring as a sideline reporter, I was stoked, first and foremost, because to my knowledge, It was on her own terms, and it still was. I've I've come to find out as more information has been been provided to us. But at the time as I'm watching it, I didn't know prior to that that the Super Bowl was going to be her last game as a sideline reporter. And, damn it, she's a great one. I've enjoyed her sideline reporting since I can remember, honestly. Um, And and she's been a good one, just her coverage, football coverage, sideline reporting, so on and so forth. Um, But also – We found out her retirement wasn't just her retiring because she was burnt out or wanted to do things on her own terms. It just so happened to be what I would deem a rollout to her newfound career that she is pursuing to be, I don't know, would it be a political pundit? Yeah,
1: some sort of talking head.
0: Some sort of talking head. That's what she wants to do. (laughs) And I'm not mad at that. I'm not mad at that. I mean, look what I do, folks. I, I'm the last person that could sit here and tell her, oh, you shouldn't leave from sports and start doing political stuff because I do sports stuff and political stuff at the same damn time. And I get it. And I understand it as to maybe why she would do so. We'll get a little bit more details about that. But- we also found out where her politics aligned right. as well in right. the process. Right, because you said roll
1: out, and where did she roll out this? I guess announcement. Go for it, Tucker Carlson. Right, Sam, Sam the Eagle looking <laughs> <laughs> that goofball dude. I watched. I watched it. And, I did too. And I I saw the interview, and I mean, my first initial thought was is just Tucker Carlson looks like Sam the Eagle. Google it, and secondly, that the tone. Of the interview, bro, did not sit right with me. Tell me more. That Michelle Tafoya went to Tucker Carlson, which is an obvious signal. You you said it. Yes. What did you? What did with you? In his freedom. In his freedom. Yeah. You she you you called me. You said she pulled it in his freedom.
0: She pulled an in his freedom. <laughs> and she jumped on Tucker's <laughs> show,
1: which yeah. is funny, except for the fact that. Her whole message, at least politically, was that to paraphrase her words is that I'm taking like a moderate stance. Right. But it's like you're not taking a moderate stance by going on this clearly like far right leaning, you know, platform. Yes. A- and and getting this sympathy. And basically it was like some sort of stamp of approval from Tucker to be like, well, good, welcome to like our side. Right. And just the way that it read to me, man, was so weird because she brought up um, on the View, she, she mentioned her um, interview. interview well, yeah. on the View. She was on. A,
0: yeah, she was like a featured panelist, I guess, right, on the View. Right. a few and months
1: ago. That's right. And she was talking about how their her son's school they have these things called
0: affinity affinity groups. groups. I'm aware of what those are. So I've too. never even heard of that. I, I work in. I, I work in political stuff. I don't have, I don't stuff, have so I, kids, I'm aware. so you know. Yeah, I mean? yeah, like, yeah, I'm, yeah. But I, even adults, like it's in workplaces. Again, like I said, especially ones that are have more like socially conscious values, I guess, for lack of a better term. Um, but you get the drill. Maybe, uh, maybe workspaces that are a little more woke than others, um, <laughs> if that helps you. Um, <laughs> we do have things like affinity groups, and you should definitely have things like affinity groups yeah. in Portland where it ain't but a few black people anyway. Damn, they need somewhere to kind of just get together and talk about being the only three black people in the city.
1: Yeah. I, it must be really tiring to every room you walk in, you're the only black person again. Exactly. I would be tired of it. Exactly. And listen,
0: all I'm saying is is that... like, And she probably got her son somewhere at a school. I don't know her, but I don't know where she lives. I don't know what, where school her son go to. But he'd probably go to a school where the black friend that he had was about the only black friend that right. he had. Right.
1: And, and this is all along with the same... On the same time where... There are school boards and parent coalitions all railing to not – to opt their kids out of um, critical race theory sort of curriculum. Yes. And it's like that's clearly what you're trying to signal here. And I think it's just sort of irresponsible and kind of lame to go on this particular platform, bring in your, like, kids, which it's like, okay – It's media, and I know I know the job you're trying to get. So obviously, you're going to try to use some. Well, clearly, she's trying to be on the View
0: somewhere where they're probably making ten times the amount of money that she's making as a sideline reporter. But she obviously has had mad success at a sideline reporter and probably reached her ceiling. And once she felt like, "Damn, I can sit here with these five ladies on the View and they making however many millions of dollars, and I'm making however many hundreds of thousands of dollars," yeah. I'd rather be over there, but you got to get a little more socially inclined and so, and politically inclined to be
1: able to have those kinds of conversations. And I guess this is her way of doing it. Hey, dude, she's doing it. She's going to the right people to figure yeah. out what notes to play, to tug at what, you know, heartstrings. Absolutely, because we're talking about it. And hey, and she's talking about the right things, too, man. But again, I just don't necessarily agree. I think it's a little bit suck-ass because it's just like you're talking about I'm going to take a moderate stance, but you're obviously signaling a not mo- a, a, anything but moderate. Yeah, she, she's trying to take what is, I guess, a, a
0: silent majority stance, and she wants to be able to vocalize it more and speak about it more because, again, she probably wants to get on a show like The View because clearly she has the resume from a television standpoint – to be able to do so. But again, if all you've been doing is sideline reporting this whole time, what does that reinvention look like for you to be able to cross over and have some of these conversations? And and I'm aware of that because I have a lot of friends, particularly white friends that have had to make those kinds of decisions as well. Some of them haven't even made the decision yet, but they know that that decision is coming. Not and I'm not saying where they lean politically or anything like that, but there's a lot of reporters as you have kids, as you have families, as you have a wife and as you get older and you probably get tired of interviewing 20-year-olds because you're now 40 whatever, you like I probably should do something a little bit more meaningful mm. within my profession. So, I've seen I've seen some reporters who had really good jobs as reporters and decided, you know what? I don't want to write no no more. I want to go work at the Capitol building and I want to do more meaningful work where I can still utilize my skills. I've had other reporters who work at some very prestigious publications that I've had conversations with personally and say, "And I'm like, I'm inspired by the fact that I I know you and you're my friend and I've watched you make your way to this very prestigious publication." And they respond back to me like, "Yo, I'm inspired by you because you're navigating through sports and the more meaningful work that you do with Street Roots at the same time. And I don't quite know how to do that yet. And so sometimes that transition is so awkward, i.e. Michelle Tafoya, I mean, at least it's pretty awkward to me. I'm sure there's people out there that it isn't awkward to, but that should also maybe tell you my friend probably has a little bit more different ideals in regards to how they see things socially and politically than maybe Michelle Tafoya does but even still it's like yo my job sounds like a great job and I'm enjoying my job I love what I do but I know the time is going to come where I want to do more meaningful work as I get older and as I just see more how the world works and as I'm make progress in my own career, become a decision maker essentially at some point, and just continue to have the influence that he's already having. So he's like, I'm inspired by what you're doing and how you're able to navigate both of these lanes at such an early point in your career. Because once you get older, you're kind of setting your ways a little bit more. And when you come out and decide to make that transition away from maybe being like a sports reporter and jump straight into
1: politics – it can get tricky. It just can. Well, especially because a lot of these people have never known any other path. Exactly. And mostly because it hasn't been there. In the defense of someone even like Michelle Tefoy, she's been in the game for a while, decades. So you it, don't I, want me to take this even even further. I can, but well, I, I mean, this is it, your podcast, it, yes. bro. Yes. Take it there.
0: Yes, I agree with you. A lot of people haven't had other paths because they've been allowed to have this particular path of being a reporter because that profession maybe more so looks like them and reflects them. And this was the way that they could maybe show and prove that they've got a little bit of talent in something. And I might not have been able to do the thing, but I know how to write and talk about the thing to make me seem like I can have conversations and I can and and I have a little bit more know how about said thing. And in that case. Again, you get into a conversation where this industry actually looks like me, but I'm connected to said thing that I probably couldn't really do that great. To where. I'm not in certain circles that I maybe want to be in that might be cooler circles, but this is my entryway into some of those cooler circles to seem like I'm doing something kind of cool. Now, that's me taking it a whole different way, and I've seen it before. I've seen a lot of people with what I would say a lot more talent that don't get certain opportunities, but now... When the talent has to kick in a little bit more, and talent isn't just like your ability to do something, but talent, I I believe, is your ability to adapt because you can navigate through certain things in certain industries, certain ways that you got to take a particular route to be able to at least show you got some talent where some people is like, you know what, I know how to do the X, Y, and Z, and I don't have to kind of take this traditional route that might not even look the way that I look or reflect me or, or reflect who I am to be able to get accomplished what I ultimately want to get accomplished.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, that's why— It's a nice roundabout way of putting it, huh? I, well, I'm, I, look, that's what I thought Michelle Tafoya was kind of like— using that social cachet, right? propping that social cachet that she has from standing on the sidelines with young black athletes because the NFL is 70% Let's black. Let's talk about it. And it hasn't ever really been anything other than that the whole time. Let's talk about and that's it. that's why I think it's really irresponsible and just kind of lame for her to... So talk from, about from it i saw from what i saw she basically went on tucker carlson and said hey everybody i'm gonna start talking all of these right wing points with you guys and don't worry i was with them for the last 25 exactly years exactly
0: the same way her son was with that best friend in right their early childhood days and it's, <laughs> it's
1: like, like it's a like cold and, game and, and, it's, and, it's, and, it's, and bro and this was so crazy because <laughs> what they were what they what they're we know what she's talking about there toward the end is Tucker Carlson at one point even goes, "Oh, I just think it's so brave for you to stand up and and say what you know you think that oh it feels like we're just talking words like we're not trying to hurt anybody and it's like okay well then why are you not uh, you're not able to rationalize having your kid learn about other races right while you're still at the same time in the boardroom. At, at the PTA meetings, you're going, There's no way little Johnny's gonna l- learn about any of this bullshit. Yeah, it's like, it's like this. This is what I was thinking, dude. Listen, it's like this. This is what I was thinking about. Yeah. It's like, you know, when like you're at a party or something and somebody's getting a little drunk and they've just been talking shit all night to like w- some guy or whatever, right? And that guy's just been all night letting it slide, letting it slide, letting it slide. And then finally, he pops that fool who's been talking all that mess. Yeah, and as soon as that dude gets hit, he's just like, Oh, I wasn't trying to be all violent, I, yep. being So violent, yeah. you know it's, it's ex- yeah, yeah, that yeah, exact yeah, yeah, yeah. same thing. Yeah, I hear you. You know what I mean? I and hear so that's you. why I'm just like, "Well, you know what? That I, M- Michelle Tafoya is no fool in this game clearly." She knew exactly where she was going to drop these seeds. Yeah, and she's watch. She's going to watch them grow. She's going to watch them grow because I mean, they eat. You know, the, yeah. those people, they eat that shit up. They're man. eating
0: it up right <laughs> now. Eating we're it eating up. it up right we're here. Maybe right in now. a different
1: way though, but we're eating it up nonetheless. I just think it needs to be talked about. You know, I agree. It needs to be talked about. I agree. Because again, I was curious when you were like, "Hey, let's talk about this." I, I was like, "Okay,"
0: because again, I. I'm in the journalism space, and again, I have a lot of white friends that are journalists because primarily the the majority, I mean, of this injury, I mean, this injury, get your words together. We're both on it. The majority of this industry is white, and so I've had. Many of these conversations, where as a black man doing the work that I do, while still being able to go and do an ESPN Plus broadcast, while still being able to be a college sports broadcaster, NCAA broadcaster, so on and so forth, they're kind of looking at me like, "Wow!" When I'm looking at them in the same way for different reasons, like, "Wow, you made it here, you made it there," I'm super proud of you, and. I fool with you. I rock with you. Like, I'm happy for your accomplishments. But they're like, yo, what you're doing is something that we know we're going to have to do at some point. Because, again, you're going to start being challenged by your partner. You'll start being challenged by your kids. You'll start to be challenged in so many different ways where it's like now you just look like you don't even belong here right now. So what else can you go do besides this and that's when you transition and we start to really kind of find out who you are in that way. And it's not an easy transition for a lot of them to make. And like I said, I'm not here to bash Michelle Tafoya's politics, I don't really care about her politics. I, and, and the way I am, like I've obviously been very critical of people's politics in the, cl- in the past, and that's not to say I won't be critical of other people's politics in the future, but one thing I've always been confident in while being critical in other people's politics is knowing that I'm out here doing the real work. And so knowing day in and day out I'm out here doing work that most people ain't doing gives me the confidence to and the willingness to maybe speak out about certain politics. But when I'm actively doing the work, i.e. right now, it's like I'm not here to bash your politics because I got Mayor Sam Adams over here, former Mayor Sam Adams, trying to advise current Mayor Ted Wheeler to put all 3,000 people in a sanctioned homeless camp all 3000 homeless people in like a-, a sanctioned camp where the national guard can oversee it with no just craziness
1: yeah, makes- <laughs> so, so now here so we like that, are that's like an that, that's that's an open air prison dude that's exactly. what that is exactly so now like here that? i am working for an
0: organization like street roots and we're like yo we got our editorial you know our editorial team that wrote an editorial about it you know i'm working with my executive director and we're figuring out advocacy plans and we're speaking to different politicians because we're trying to find out other ways to, to actually accomplish getting these people into housing that is a, more, is a lot better than that, an open-air prison, <laughs> as you mentioned, I mean, essentially, that's... that people ain't going for. A lot of unhoused people ain't going for. So we don't want to see you criminalize houselessness and people that are unhoused, but we actually want to see you, like, you know, put them— Somewhere where they have a roof and a door and some privacy and can live in a much more sustainable way than on the streets. And so. Now we've got this 3,000 challenge where we've got other community members that are giving ideas. I mean, we got so many ideas. There's been hotels and motels bought up by the county. There's been we had the Project Turnkey, which bought up hotels and motels. We're trying to get the city to do a similar model because there's so many places these people can actually go rather than a sanctioned camp (laughs) with with the National Guard overseeing it. And so, when I say I'm actually doing the work, those are the kinds of things I mean, and I'm talking about when I'm actually doing the work. To where I'm not necessarily here to, you know, criticize her politics, but uh, there's a lot going on out here, and I'm in the trenches trying to get it
1: done. Yes, you are trying to get it done. All right? We're gonna keep. We're gonna keep. I'm. I'm trying to rock with you as much as I can, man. I, I, you obviously know more than I do. Uh, you know, it's a. It's a ongoing issue every day. You know, I was. I was gonna tell you about uh, that. Um. You know, you're saying that you're getting commended by people who are looking at you saying, oh, man, I, you know, it's very brave of you <laughs> to yeah. go out and try to, it, it, you know, circumvent these new frontiers yeah. that have no real r- rubric to, to base off of. For sure. And it's like, yeah, it is scary. It is a scary thing. You know, they call ESPN, people that work there, they call it the mothership. Yeah. You know, and yeah. it's because there are these major media hubs and these major hubs of thought. You know what I mean? Because they're really they're they're just institutions of, of thought, mm-hmm. and to jump off of like the Titanic or something, yeah, into the freezing ocean with probably nothing but a, a boat or a piece of driftwood, it's like you're gonna have to kick, yeah. And a lot of these people don't want to kick. They don't want to kick. They but don't want to kick. You gotta swim.
0: And, and, i.e., like I said, being out here actually trying to make things happen like this, challenging these politicians, being in the streets, working with these people that are unhoused, trying to help them to survive and make a better living in whatever way you can. That's the kicking part. And that's the part that I mean when I talk about actually doing the work where I don't really have the time to criticize Michelle Tafoya's politics, but I see what you're doing, and we're going to talk about that. (laughs) I see what you're doing, and we're going to talk about that because it's not going over my head, and I don't want it to go over many others' heads, especially when you're angling it from a way that you're representing a more moderate and a silent majority group of people to act like there's a whole lot more people that feel the way you do. And sure, there is a significant amount of people that feel the way you do but don't try to use that because there's a significant amount of people that don't feel the way you do to try to sway the people that don't to come to your side as if what's your side and the stance that you take is the more middling moderate and majority and people should join this wave over here you're not slick
1: we yeah, see what you're doing. Exactly. It's it's not cool to try to. Ne- I mean, that's what she was getting in, in an argument with Whoopi about in the first place. Yes. And it was the, on the view. And, and look what happened. She said, uh, "Yeah, I, I just don't know why we have to have these conversations." You know, Whoopi. And she said, "We, you know, we just need to get over, essentially, yeah. the get over it." Trope. It, and then Whoopi said, well, "Well, we need, white people, we need you, you white people." <laughs> that's yeah. What she said to do something about it, and before she even was able to get that sentence out. Here go Michelle Tafoya just talking over I know that it's like subtle stuff like that, but it's just like, bro, you're not... You know what I mean? Stop trying to advocate for these. It's just like this Sam Adams thing. Yeah. It's just like this Sam Adams thing. He, He tries to backpedal off of just this preposterous statement and go what well, we can't all kick ideas and it's like actually you know what yes we can all kick ideas yeah, are for you going to sure. shut the fuck up and listen now <laughs> yeah all exactly right, cuz cool.
0: that's the problem sorry i don't mean it, that's you know the I mean? problem no it's good but that's you know the problem I mean? because a lot of them don't listen because if you were listening the people that you would go to about trying to find solutions are the actual people that are unhoused and yeah. that are that we're trying to find
1: solutions for but they're facing the problem that, that, that you're f- trying to figure out how to, not not solve by the way. Instead of saying some crazies, it's never <laughs> craziness. solved, by the way. It's the, never. The verbiage is always like deal with or like you know what I mean. It's like the, right sort of. It's just the language. At least
0: just... get us out of a crisis. We're currently in a crisis. Yeah. And that's the thing. It's like we're not saying that the problem is just gonna go away, but just kicking the can down the road mm. to some camp and thinking folks ain't gonna figure out a way to get out of that camp. Or else they have to get arrested and be criminalized because they don't want to be there. Nah, that's not good enough. That's not good enough.
1: Yeah, COVID really pulled the wool of, like, off of people's eyes of like, you're saying that you can't just generate, rev, or generate infrastructure to, excuse me, ha- house people that don't have houses or put some money in their pocket or subsidize some sort of, you know what I'm saying, generate some income for them or put them in position. It's like, well, that's exactly what they've done in COVID protocols and yeah. quarantining people and, yep. and stimulus checks, and so it's very. People are just going, "I, I." Now, this is enough is enough here, and then to hear city officials who, whether or former or not, who are or, or trying former, to
0: advise the current city right, officials, right? Yeah. It
1: is important to know that yes. those views, expressive views and opinions, are that solely of former Mayor Sam Adams and not of. At because, least at this time. Because history matters. Because it does, and because history it does matter. History matters. It does matter. It does matter. <laughs> and, we're all, and, and, and fortunately, we live in a world now where it's all really easily documented. Absolutely. So it's like we can look yeah. back and go, Excuse me, sir.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, also, sticking with, I guess, homelessness now, I love how we just transitioned out of Michelle Tafoya into real stuff that we actually out here doing and not talking about because we agree with it or don't agree with it. Nah, we out here trying to get shit done, baby but anywho um happy birthday to portland street response yesterday was the 1 year anniversary of portland street response and it's it's obviously a beautiful thing i'm super happy about it um you know to be able to see that now what started as a dream, honestly, and I've been there since the start of that dream, what started as a bomb editorial written by Emily Green in Street Roots about what this alternative police model, or it's not a police model, it's an alternative model to policing because it's not policing, um, to see what this could ultimately be and become to to remember the days of you know her editorial catching steam and now... Kaya, our executive director, and I are like, wow, this thing is actually catching momentum. What do we do now? And so we think of, let's do surveys. Let's have our street roots vendors go out there and survey their unhoused neighbors and and ask them questions of what a particular model like this could even look like. Because... For one, it's trauma informed. We don't want to come up with a suit and tie trying to ask people in their tents or near their tents what they feel about alternative model policing. I mean, that just sounds weird coming out of my mouth saying it that way. Better yet, actually doing it that way. But to be able to have vendors go out to other unhoused people, their neighbors, and 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 gather all of this data and information. Doing my first ever press conference after you know we partnered with Greg Townley and and the Portland State Homeless, Homelessness. Action Collaborative to be able to delve out all of that information that we got on the surveys created into a report. Me, Kaya Sand, Greg Townley, uh, Mayor Ted Wheeler, Commissioner Joanne Hardesty doing a press conference about this to gain even more momentum. And then after that... Being able to get it approved in the budget, in the city council's budget to actually do this thing and the weekly meetings that a small group of us in a a work group, a, a, a community work group were having to try to really make this thing come a reality and then to see the defunding of the police happening during the 2020 uprisings and to be able to get money allocated into Portland Street response. And then it it, it launches, and a year ago it launches, and it's just launched in a neighborhood. And then you do a six-month report, and it's had success. So now guess what? We get more funding in the fall budget to now expand this thing citywide, which will be happening in March, to just see what it's all come from, from its inception, the very beginning to right now, it's something I'm very, very proud of and something that I've talked about over the over the years here, excuse me, on this podcast. And I obviously got to bring up, you know, it's the one-year anniversary for Portland Street Response. In March, it will be citywide. It's not 24-7 yet, but the fact that it just started in the Little Lentz neighborhood and will now expand citywide is super dope. And and there's been results. People have gotten housing from it through follow ups from Portland Street response rather than being put in jail and then being let out of jail and becoming a a, a repeated (laughs) offender for whatever reason, really just for being homeless in a lot of ways um, and and just being in and out of the system in a way that makes it harder for you to be able to survive out here. It's just had a lot of success thus far. And it's something that. I'm more proud of than anything I've probably even done in sports and I've been able to do a lot, but that right there being a a part of the creation of that is something that I'll hold near and dear to me forever. And to see it having a success is having is super duper dope. So Portland street response is expanding citywide next month after only, you know, going
1: for a year so far. Yeah. It's dope. I know a lot of people who own businesses and, you know, obviously other just community members and, and they have had criticisms in the past over, you know, sort of these t- types of programs, street response style, you know, alternative policing in that they're sort of inactive. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I mean, you guys got that thing off the ground, budgeted, put well, together, packaged. Well, let's be clear. Let's be clear. We've never really had
0: an alternative to policing either. And that's something that must be acknowledged. It was over 100 years before Portland Street Response became a thing that we've had an alternative model to policing then policing. So a lot of people look at it like they've had this thing and it just didn't work out because it was some whatever kind of a thing. But no, a lot of the problems are because... There is police response. Things continue to escalate. These people can't stand the police. The police are arresting them at much higher rates than they're arresting house people because obviously they're a lot more public facing. Yeah, they're out there. And and now they're out here doing whatever because they're dealing with maybe a, a, a mental health crisis and they're being escalated and they're being triggered by police. And all the reasons that people think... The other models that hadn't even really existed doesn't work is because the only model has been policing.
1: I guess I, I guess I meant like responses to homelessness, not necessarily policing, because it's yeah 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 houselessness. Excuse me. I mean that that's the the, the big ticket but again, issue.
0: But again, a lot of people don't. A lot of people view the police as like they can't fix it, and they're never going to be able to fix it because the way that they've historically treated these people and other people that are oppressed has never been good. So when you get certain reactions from homelessness, you kind of start to side with the police because you feel like the opposite of homeless would be the police trying to handle some shit, but these people are too out of control when really that particular model is leading to these people to get escalated. It's leading to these people being triggered because the way they've been treated by police, so you're not having successful interactions and you're having people's mental health spiral Mm. rather than trying to assist them to get other resources that can help with their mental health so that you don't have these issues that you think is just homeless people going crazy that police can't stop not understanding that policing is actually escalating this situation. And again, because of some of the success that we've seen in the six-month report, they got the one-year report coming out any day now. Um, and Portland State has been doing the reports on just number numbers crunching the same way yeah, they what, did what, for those what, surveys what's it, what's... initially.
1: What's the gentleman's name that uh, is heading Greg, up?
0: Greg Townley. Greg Townley. That's he was Greg the Townley. same person that we collaborated with when our vendors were going out and doing surveys for what this model could even look like. And since then, he's just stuck with PSR since it's become a pilot and obviously a thing. He just kind of stuck with Portland Street Response. And because he's stuck with Portland Street Response, you know, now he's doing the surveys and reports for the actual pilot. Rather than us getting surveys from unhoused people, which was how it started, to be able to give to politicians, to be able to again do press conferences and so on and so forth, and ultimately the city implemented into their regime. So major, bro. It's major, man. It's major, and again, it's something I'm super proud of. Um, Yeah, man. Huge credit to uh, Happy birthday, Happy birthday, Portland Street Response. Happy
1: birthday, Portland Street Response. Anything you wanted to talk about today, man? Um, Oh. Go ahead. No, I mean I. I was. Oh no no no. You. Uh. The uh, tournament.
0: The Phil Knight. The tournament. The Phil Knight invitation and the Phil Knight Legacy tournament.
1: Legacy tournament.
0: Yeah yeah yeah. So basically, um, some of you all might remember the PK eighty, which was Phil Knight's 80th birthday tournament, where he basically got like the top Nike schools to, uh, to come and play here at the Motor Center, at the Veterans Memorial, Coliseum, Rose Garden, whatever y'all like to call it out here.
1: We like to call it the Rose Garden out You like here, to call Garden. it the
0: Rose Garden, whatever, <laughs> whatever y'all like to call it out here. Anywho, he had Duke, he had Florida, he had Gonzaga, and a lot of those teams are coming back for this tournament. But usually the Phil Knight Invitational is an annual tournament, but it's only like maybe a pool of, I think it's either four or eight teams, but it's a much smaller pool. Well, this year – it's a bigger pool, and it's going to be men's and women's. So you'll have UConn yeah. out here UConn. for women's basketball. UConn is going to be UConn out UConn is going to be here in Portland yeah. playing when in the I field saw night. that. And then what I love, obviously, being here locally, all the four local Division One schools, Oregon, Oregon State, Portland, and Portland State all play in it. Like at the field night uh, at the PK-80, Portland State played against Duke. Well, that ain't going to happen, usually, (laughs) unless an event like this comes about. So there's a chance. We don't obviously know who's playing against who yet, but there's a chance they play against Duke. There's a chance they play against Gonzaga. There's a chance they play against University of Florida, Florida. Purdue, whoever else is coming. You know what I mean? Some of the top-tier national basketball programs, the powerhouses. And then, like I said, I'm more excited. I've never seen them have a woman's element to it. So I think it's an eight-team tournament for both the Invitation and the Legacy Tournament. It's his 85th birthday, so that's why he's doing it big again. And then uh, I think it's a four-team tournament for both the Field Knight Invitation and the Field Knight Legacy Tournament featuring teams like UConn.
1: <laughs> it's just going to be crazy good basketball Thanksgiving week. It's going to be sick. It's going to be sick. Because it's and, awesome. And, and I was there at PK-80. And, and, and you know what? Not a lot of people were there. Like, I was there. In, in, in terms of like, there was a bunch of available seats to go sit there and watch some high grade, basically top flight basketball. Yes. The accessibility. The closest
0: thing you'll get to NCAA tournament basketball is. And
1: the accessibility is like way beyond anything that you would even sniff in, yeah. in those big tournaments. You're yeah. you're it's you're just at the garden, at the rose garden, just hanging out. Like it's it's, lit, it's very chill, bro. I'm I mean, it's, you, it's it's lit. definitely a, a situation to check out if you love basketball, especially. So
0: so let me just go right here. I'm gonna read the teams off. The 2022 Phil Knight Invitational, one of eleven college basketball events owned and operated by ESPN, will feature eight men's teams and four women's teams. The men's teams are Alabama, Iowa State, Michigan State, North Carolina, Oregon. Portland, Yukon, and Villanova, while the women's field features Iowa State, Michigan State, North Carolina, and Oregon. The 2022 Field Night Legacy, hosted by Rip City Management, will also feature eight teams and four women's teams. The men's teams are Duke, Florida, Gonzaga, Oregon State, Portland State, Purdue, West Virginia, and Xavier, while the women's teams will be Duke, Iowa, Oregon State, and Yukon. That's fire.
1: Yo, if Oregon State plays Yukon, that's gonna that's be a <laughs> sick game,
0: boy. And the games this year man. will be held. It'll be held at the Motor Center. It'll be held at the Veterans Memorial Coliseum, and I think because they expanded, it, it'll be at the Child Center as well at University of Portland.
1: Oh yeah, it's gonna be oh,
0: Thanksgiving. That's right it's up gonna the road. Be I can, fire. Ooh. Yeah, right, right down oh, the street. Wow. From, yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's gonna see, be fire. See,
1: you know what, man? You know what's so great about that tournament, man? It's just the exposure. I I would argue that that PK-80 was an integral part of just elevating the spotlight and the exposure on Portland basketball, the state school especially, because look where the Vikings are at now, where they have potential to go. Yeah, It's, It's killer, man. Phil Knight, man, that dude... Say what you want man but he really rides for the sport and he shit out Yeah, he Yeah, I mean he's, I mean, he's, he's Nike. Yeah. <laughs> it's he Nike. Has to, he has to. It's not much business. more to say. It's kind his of his business, business right? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> for what it's but worth. But I I'm mean, 85 years old. You ain't got to do, <laughs> yeah, do nothing. Yeah, he ain't got to do nothing And he'll be there. There. Yeah, exactly.
0: I mean obviously God willing, he'll be there. Yeah, exactly. Like he was there at the PK 80 attending those And kissing babies. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, that's all we got for this week. Um, you know, we might do a quick 10 to 15 minute Patreon spot. Real quick, 10 to 15 minute Patreon spot. Again, I gotta go broadcast tonight, so I gotta get out of here soon. On that note, we're gonna leave y'all the only way that we know how, and that is to stay woke and go Go win. win.